Thank you. If you are in the kindergarten through fifth grade, you're welcome to line up in the back for the treehouse. Kindergarten through fifth grade, you're welcome to go. You're also welcome to stay in here if you so choose to do that. The rest of you, you're stuck. Sorry to say, not at all. Sorry. But if you do have your Bibles, you can get them out, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So we've been walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We are nearing the end of chapter 6. We're not quite there yet. Um, but it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Man, hearing God's people sing together, rejoicing, just raising their voices. There's something special and unique about corporate worship. I love it. And I love being back with the church family. Of course, my wife and I were, were gone for several months helping a church plant out of state. Uh, we're back, um, so I'm ready. I'm ready to get to work. I don't know if you guys are, but um, we're talking this morning about the heart. We're going we're gonna to dig deep into the text this morning, I hope, to come away with some better understanding of what this thing is used for, other than just keeping us physically alive. There's a lot of things going on in the heart that we're going to try to discover. And as Christians, we do talk a lot about the heart, don't we? And we should. We should do it often, and we do it with good reason, because there's good, and there is potentially some danger in that. But more specifically, I think we talk about what it is that our heart is doing. How is it working out our salvation before the Lord to live a life pleasing to the Lord? What does our heart have to do with, with any of that? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning uh, from the text in the Sermon on the Mount. It's just littered with things about kingdom living and how our heart needs to shift as we really attempt to live out this kind of kingdom living that we've been talking about for this season. So I want to address kind of the heart as what I want to call the, our spiritual thermometer. A heart as a spiritual thermometer. So that's where we gauge our motive, our intent, our desire, our reward. What are we seeking to gain by doing these things? So the heart is just that. It plays a very significant role in our Christian walk. And if we're not careful, we can actually neglect the tool that God has given us in order to better perceive and to see what we're doing and why we're doing it. We're talking a lot about motive this morning. And so some of you might kind of already have me at arm's distance when I'm talking about the heart because your mind might be flashing to Jeremiah 17, 9 that says, the heart is deceitful above all things. That's what Jeremiah says. So how in the world can it be trusted? Can it be trusted? I mean, Jeremiah's, I mean, that's, you're not pulling any punches there. <laughs> the heart is deceitful of all things. So it can't be trusted, right? Right? Uh, I guess we'll find out, right? That's what we're going to do. Let's look at the text and see what we can see. Matthew chapter 6. Get there. We're starting in verse 16. Matthew 6, 16. This is what it says. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head 
and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So that's our text for this morning. Let's go to the Lord briefly in prayer and ask for some help. Father, we do come to you right now, knowing, God, that this truth in your word is there to guide and shape our lives, to set us free, to do the things that you have commanded us and called us to do. God, would you reveal to us in your word the heart, the intent, the purpose. Why have you given us a new heart? What is the purpose of that and how we seek to live kingdom lives, honoring you, bringing you glory, bringing you honor, bringing much attention to your name for your name's sake. God, I thank you for this morning, for all that are here. Prepare our hearts to receive from you this morning. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, if you have questions along the way, we have an opportunity for you guys to interact with us. You can text that number on the screen, 760-303-1353. Any questions about the text, when we come up here at the end of the service, we'll try to work through some of those, give you some answers, or at least some resources to help um, orient you around some of the things that we're talking about. Okay, so if our hearts are what I'm arguing that they are in a spiritual thermometer within us, we should, we should probably learn how to read that thing properly. So I'm pretty certain that all of you in the room know how to use the thermometer, although I would guess that in some cases, some of you don't know what like an actual glass thermometer with mercury in it looks like. You just look at your phone or the little digital thing on the wall. But back in the day, they had like these glass things, right, that were called thermometers, and they had mercury that went up and down. Okay. Anyway, regardless of what kind of thermometer you're used to having, you understand that you place it in an area where you want to gauge that temperature right where that thermometer is, right? That's kind of the purpose, and duh, we, we all get that, of course. However, once you have the thermometer back in your hand, you have to know how to read it. You gotta look at it very carefully. If you are that old school person who has that glass thermometer, you gotta look, where's the line of mercury stopping? Is it 76? Is it 78? Like, what, what is it saying, right? And then once you get that number, you gotta know what to do with that. When you ask a three-year-old, if he knows what it means that it's 98 degrees outside, so he can't go play, he, he doesn't understand 98 degrees, right? You have to learn, contextualize, what do these things mean? Never mind if you get the reading in Celsius, right? I mean, that's like graphs and charts and calculus, I think. Like, that's a whole different ballgame right there. But I say all that to make my point very clear as we translate this into the heart as our spiritual thermometer. That's the principle here. So let's do just that. If our heart is a key part of every decision we make and every action we take, it's going to tell us very candidly our intent, our motive, our desired outcome. 
it will do that, just like a thermometer. However, we do have to learn how to assess, read what it's saying without being distracted. So, how do we read this spiritual thermometer? Well, let's look at that first example in the text we just read. Verses 16 to 18. So if you've read through Matthew chapter 6 at all, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, this should sound very familiar to you because Jesus uses these exact same words when he's talking about giving and praying. The exact same words, the verbiage that he's using to communicate what he's saying in there. Essentially, what he's saying is, when you fast, don't make a big deal out of it. Like, nobody should know what you're doing. Because if they do, if you go out of your way like the hypocrites do, right, to make themselves look all shabby and poor and like Skeletor, right, you've received your reward. That's it. This right here, good job, man. Oh, look at that guy fasting. Wow, that, he's a Christian, man. Wow, that's impressive, right? Fasting. That right there, that's it. That's what you get. That's your reward. Essentially, what Jesus is saying. So the first way to read our spiritual thermometer of the heart is to check our motive. In this case, are you fasting? Are you praying? Are you giving? Are you serving, cooking, sewing, singing? Whatever it is, are you doing that so that people will notice and applaud? Is that your heart's desire? Well, I'm going to argue from the scripture that your heart will tell you exactly why you're doing what you're doing. Motive is a very serious way that the heart reveals itself to us. So when you're in a position to do something like any of those things that I just listed off and then some, I would encourage you to pray and search your heart for the true reason you are doing it. Is, is love your motivator? Is love for that person the reason you're doing it? Is it attention? Maybe it's to draw attention away from something else you're doing, right? It's a sort of dis distraction. Like, if I do this, they won't see me doing this over here. The principle Jesus is laying out here and repeating for the third time in this chapter, that's a big deal. When you see things repeated three times in the scripture, we pay attention. And here's Jesus for the third time saying, check your motive, your ultimate reason for doing the things that you do. And our hearts play a big role in making that determination. So here's where I'm going to kind of argue from the scripture a little bit in this idea. David does this. Right? When he's getting ready to build the temple, right? they're in Jerusalem, they're going to build this temple. There's all kinds of gold and silver and jewels and all these things that are going to go into building this thing. And David pauses, recognizes all that I have to do this comes from God. And then he checks his heart to see, am I freely giving this back to the Lord for this temple to be raised up? He walks through that process. Check it out. Um, 1 Chronicles 29, 17. One verse. This is David speaking. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasures in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all of these things. And now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. So in that, that verbiage right there, in the uprightness of my heart, the NIV translates that by saying, with honest intent. 
David is able to assess his heart and to say before the Lord, I am doing this freely. Like there is no ulterior motive here. There's no reason but to bring you honor and to say, all this comes from you anyway. I'm giving it back to you freely. So David is able to read his own heart and understand that it is with honest intent. Uprightness before the Lord. So you see, the heart is used as a spiritual thermometer in King David's life. And it's the same thing for us too. Make sense? Okay. Now let me address all the heart haters in the room. All of you that immediately went like, no, 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 you can't trust the heart, it's, it's deceitful. Let me address you folks, because I know some of you are looking at me like, I'm crazy. But by God's grace, we see in Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And then read over in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. This is the Lord speaking. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Church, we have a new heart and we have the Holy Spirit living within us. That's huge. That's a big deal. Do you agree with me? Yes, so between this new heart and this spirit, we have an advantage. The Holy Spirit, he guides us, shapes us, convicts us, chases after us when we wander away. So too often we neglect these truths about the heart and we believe the lie that our hearts are good for nothing. That's just not true. Proverbs 27, 19 rounds this out for us. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. The heart has a lot to say to us. We need to learn accurately how to talk about it. So let me just kind of make sure that I'm covering all my bases here. In Jeremiah chapter 17, when he says the heart is de deceitful above all things, he is not referring to this new heart of flesh that we have in Christ. He's talking about unbelievers. Okay, so when we pull that verse out of context and stand on that and say, you can't trust the heart as a Christian, it's deceitful above all things, that's not true. That's not what he's saying in Jeremiah. He's talking about the unbelieving heart, which we can all agree is deceitful above all things. So we have to be careful on how we look at these texts. However, there is another side to this coin. All right, I'm not naive. And this is where some of the confusion might be about the deceitfulness of the heart. So even though we have experienced this spiritual heart transplant, right? We have this new heart of flesh and that happens when we give our lives over to Christ. There is still a remnant of the old us in there that's getting cleaned out over our lifetime, essentially. Still a piece that longs to do those sinful, bad things, the desires of the heart in that way still exist. So taking that into account, we trust the heart only in that it reveals to us our focus and intent in the moment for what we're doing. Like a thermometer, it assesses the current situation, the current climate, and gives us the temperature. So we have to mature in such a way that we can read the heart accurately and not be led astray or wander. Because here's the balancing act. See, once you get the reading from our heart, tells us very clearly 
what your intent is, then the heart has a tendency to help you to justify that what you're doing isn't actually as bad as it may seem. Or that in some case, you're the exception to that Christian standard, right? That's where you got to start watching out for the heart. And so we have to play this little um, balancing act, so to speak. You've got to be careful in what we're doing. Let me give you an example. Early in my Christian walk, I used to play saxophone on um, worship teams. It was just what I did at the time, and I really, really enjoyed it. Loved playing saxophone. But if I'm honest, I didn't really do it because I wanted to serve the Lord. I liked playing, and I liked people saying almost every service, like, hey, man, you've you got a good gift. Like, that is, I love hearing you play. I'm like, yeah, you do. <clears throat> <laughs> totally wrong motive. And even as a young Christian, I knew that. I knew that I shouldn't be wanting that attention and that accolade. But I would look over during worship to the front of the congregation and see these people like practically making a fool out of themselves. I mean, dancing, waving flags. Now keep in mind, this is a charismatic church that I got saved in, all right? So back in the day, things were wild. People were all over the place. And I'm looking at them going, look at that. Like, talk about wanting attention. They're up front dancing, waving flags. I'm nothing like that. I'm nothing like that. I'm exactly like that in my heart. See, my heart told me clearly that I was wrong and then immediately starts to help me justify it. So where you insert yourself into that equation is heart assessment and then deal with that right away before your heart starts to twist that truth around. Hopefully that makes a little bit more sense. The heart actually accurately reveals motive. So then we immediately go to work fighting against that. <clears throat> don't hear me say something, though, that I'm not saying, as John would say. Don't hear what I don't say. <laughs> don't do whatever your heart tells you to do. That is not what I'm saying at all. The heart is a spiritual thermometer. It's not a decision maker, right? So when somebody says, well, my heart's just telling me that I should leave my wife, I would say, maybe, but you're wrong. Don't do it because you know it's wrong. My heart is just telling me, wrong answer, okay? Unless you're saying my heart is telling me that my motives are wrong or I search my heart and I know that I'm doing this with right intent, then our heart conversation is done. After that, my heart is telling me, that, no, none of that conversation is taking place. Does that make sense? So I want to make, I'm very clear on this because there are people that will say, just, just follow your heart. Follow your heart as much as you listen to it, reveal your motive, and then press mute. All right? I know some of us have a hard time pressing mute because we want to hear what our heart has to say after it convicts us. After the Holy Spirit uses our heart to reveal our motive, we really just, come on, give me something. Tell me that, I, that I'm not as bad. Tell me that I can keep doing what I want to do apart from what I know I should be doing in Christ. Okay, hopefully I've made that abundantly clear. We'll see as the questions come in. All right, so then Jesus turns a corner on the same topic of the heart, but he gets very real very quick. Because now he's talking about money and stuff. And maybe the first reaction is, well, what about it? What about my money and my stuff? 
Right? Anybody have that initial reaction reading? It's like, whoa, whoa. I didn't come to church talking about money and stuff. Back off. So what about it? Well, two things, really. Two commands from Jesus in the text. One, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Sounds pretty straightforward. But guess what's right in the middle of all of that? The heart. Two obvious questions, hopefully, are rattling around in your brain right now. Does that mean that we can't have things this side of heaven? If we're not supposed to store up treasures on earth, does that mean we can't have things? That's question number one. Question number two, what are treasures in heaven? <laughs> if I'm supposed to store these things up, I, what is that? What does that look like? So first question, is it wrong don't answer this yet. Don't answer out loud. Is it wrong to have money and stuff in this life? Don't answer. Is it wrong to have money and stuff in this life? I used to think that the straight answer across the board was no. No, it's not wrong. But I've grown in my assessment of that question, and I think a better answer is maybe. Maybe it is wrong to have stuff and money in this life, and we'll, we'll get there on that, but just want to make sure. It's not a straight no, I don't think. Why do you desire to have stuff, to have money, possessions? Is it simply to be comfortable and enjoy life? Got to enjoy life to the fullest. Is it to have assurance of a solid retirement plan that positions you to have no obligations whatsoever? Like if I could just sit back on a beach and do nothing forever. That's what I want. That's what I'm working for. We're back to motive. And here Jesus uses a very revealing tool in our treasures. So I'm just going to skip to the end real quick for the big reveal. We already read it. But just as a reminder, you can't serve two masters. It's just not possible. God and money, it doesn't work that way. You'll hate the one, you'll love the other, you'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. That's what Jesus is teaching us, okay? But here's the deal. If your identity is found in the things of this world, you are serving the master of money. If your identity is found in those things, then you're caught up in the rat race, right? You're dead set on keeping up with the Joneses, whoever they are. You want to keep up with them. Even if you're giving to the church and charities and all these kinds of things. You're in a very bad place if I just describe you. When your identity is wrapped up in your house, your career, your clothes, your car, your retirement plan, then you're obligated to protect those things that give you your identity and perhaps position you to have to do some very questionable things in order to keep that identity alive. It opens the door to all kinds of trouble. This is what we need the heart to assess. So you got to ask yourself, why do you have the things you have? Why do we find satisfaction in buying things when we know that the moment they're in our hands, they're already on the way to the garage sale or the landfill? Why do we find such joy in that? Clicking the button on Amazon. Got to have more things. That's part of Jesus' point. Our stuff is actually working against it. Did you see the words that he used? Your stuff on earth, 
Moth is trying to destroy it. It's rusting out. It's being destroyed. People are trying to steal it. So the things that we're falling over ourselves to gather is working against us to leave our hands. (laughs) Think about that for a minute in the way that Jesus describes that. He uses his words very carefully. At the end of the day, all of it is pointless if we do not have our identity in Christ and our hearts in check as to the why question. Why do we have these things? Search your heart. Pray that God will reveal to you the motive behind all the things that you have. Conversely, there are people who are fantastic stewards of their finances, have plenty of money, yet their identity is grounded in Christ. They are generous beyond reason, looking for opportunities to bless people, sowing into the kingdom of God, and they're leaving behind them a wake of joy and satisfaction in Christ, from whom all blessings flow. The difference between the two is very clear. And the heart, once again, will help to reveal where you are on that spectrum. Which is precisely what the key verse in all of this is saying. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thing that you value most is revealed in your heart. Remember now, we're talking about kingdom living. That's the whole point of what we're doing, is talking about kingdom living. And I think a great scripture to drive this whole thing home is actually a parable that Jesus shares later in Matthew. It's not one that maybe that is super common or that it's only a a, a verse. So let's look at Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. See, God's kingdom is more valuable than anything else this short life has to offer. It's with joy that we are willing to sacrifice all that we have to hold on to the kingdom. That's what that parable says. I would give everything for the joy of holding on to the kingdom. And it is with joy that we do it, or it should be anyway. And here's the great dividing line. Do we joyfully leverage all that we have for the advancement of the gospel? I'm going to use that language a lot because I think it's very powerful. Do we joyfully leverage all that we have for the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom of God? Or do we treasure up, do we store up rather, treasures on earth? Because you can't do both. You can't do both. And that's the whole point that Jesus is making here. So is God asking you to sell all your stuff and live in poverty for the rest of your life? I don't know. Wouldn't be the first time he asked somebody to do that, right? I'm not saying that that's what you need to do here. But if you're wrestling through how to balance all of this out, how do I have stuff and still love God? You're asking the wrong question. The better question is this. Why do I have the things I have and am I willing to joyfully part with it all? Why do I have the things that I have and am I willing to joyfully part with everything that I have for advancement of God's kingdom? I mean, the Bible's full of stories 
of people just giving up everything to include their children in some cases, right? It's actually hard to put ourselves in some of those stories. But leveraging all that you have for God's kingdom does not mean you need to have a lot to make a big difference, right? It's not how much you're giving up, but what you're willing to exchange for earthly treasures. I think the thing that comes to mind most um, that we can all relate to, well, most of us anyway, is people that go onto the mission field. And particularly, um, on my heart this week was the Ransoms, because they were just here. The Ransom family planted this church with us five years ago, and then basically sold everything. Like, literally sold everything. They had a handful of suitcases, bought a ticket to Japan, and went to a place where they had no friends, no family, nothing. Just showed up. All right, God, we're here. They literally leveraged everything that they had for the advancement of God's kingdom. I mean, that's a practical example of what it looks like. Being willing to joyfully do that is what we're talking about here. How many of us are willing to joyfully do what they've done? Now, not all of us are called to do that. That's an example. But use that example to assess real quickly, like, could I do that? Like, if God told me tonight, go sell everything and move to Africa, I have a plan for you, would you be willing to do that? Or do you have too much? Are you invested too much in the things of this earth that you are not willing to even consider doing what God would have you to do? That is a bad place to be. However, God's grace abounds, all right? This is a process, right? We are being changed from one degree of glory to another. It's not an overnight thing. So if you're like, oh man, I guess I suck, relax, all right? We're on this journey, okay? So we can get to those places. Generally speaking, God usually doesn't ask you something that you're not already spiritually mature enough to handle. All right, the Ransom family, they've been doing this for years and years and years. For them, yeah, it was a big deal, but it wasn't like, oh, I've never even considered that. It's not to say God's not going to drop a bomb on you and be like, whoa. But generally speaking, we progress in these things, and we get to a place where our heart is revealed more and more and more. And that's essentially what I want us to come away with this morning is, is let's just do some assessment. Let's just really see, are we storing up treasures on earth that are actually working against us, or are we seeking the things that are above? And that's, that's the next thing here as we begin to wrap up. We're told to lay up treasures in heaven. Now, this is pretty simple. It's not overly complicated. Our focus should be on the things that are above, not here, right? Our desire is to orient our lives around the advancement of God's kingdom so that all that we do is making an effort, or making an impact, rather, for that kingdom. All that we do. How we speak, how we act, how we love, how we give, how we evangelize, all the things that we do. All of this done with a rightly motivated heart, puts our focus on eternal things and not the fleeting things of this life. That's a big part of what storing up treasures in heaven has to do is what are we doing for the advancement of God's kingdom? If it has nothing to do 
with this life and our comfort and our things and our stuff. And we're more interested in reaching and serving and loving in those actions we're storing up treasures in heaven because they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust or stolen. Those intangible things of the Christian faith and walk. That's what we're talking about here. Our greatest joy should be in helping to build and expand God's kingdom. Matt Chandler says that we should live open-handed lives. Nothing too strongly in our grip that we're not willing to joyfully release it to the Lord. Open-handed lives. We meet the needs of the poor, the widowed, the orphaned. Scripture is very clear that we do this. We sacrificially give of our time to serve other people and to care for others. We love with all that we have, leaving nothing on the table as we store up treasures in heaven. And none of this has anything to do with God wanting or needing your stuff. God doesn't need your stuff to accomplish his mission. So it's not about like, all right, God, I'll give this all for you. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. Not financing God's mission to give up your RV or whatever you have, jet skis. God doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't need your stuff to accomplish his mission. Now, we're on the team, right? And he's certainly invited us to be a part of that process, but this text is here to help reveal one important thing. Where your treasure is, the thing that you value most, that's where your heart is. Your heart will tell you that, plain and simple. Be careful, though, not to deceive yourself. That's what verse 22 and 23 allude to. As you read through that, you're like, man, that's, what is he talking about? There's light and dark and eyeballs and weird stuff. Let me just oversimplify for a moment what he's saying here in these two verses. You can't have it both ways, and you're fooling yourself to think that you can. That's essentially what he's saying in those verses. Look at the second half of verse 23. He's saying, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Like if you are con you're convinced that there's light in you, and it's not light... That's a bad thing. <laughs> You're fooling yourself, right? You can't be sold out for Jesus and then go work 80 hours this week so you can buy that Porsche, right? It doesn't work that way. You cannot get your identity from both Christ and your treasures on earth. You just can't. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve God and money. And so here's... The gospel tie into all this, and this is significant. The dominant factor at play here is the heart. I think we've made that abundantly clear. So if we're dead in our sin, and as a result we're going through our life with a spiritually dead heart, we can't walk in any of this truth. It doesn't matter to us. It doesn't make any sense. We're focused on me and getting all that we can, right? He with the most toys at the end, when, what dies, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, that's where we are if we're walking with those spiritually dead hearts. But only Jesus can change our cold stone hearts to a heart of flesh that has a capacity to love God and love others. And that's, that's a part of salvation. When we repent, we turn away from those sins. We put our faith in Christ for forgiveness and mercy. We're saved. We understand that. But it's with these new hearts then that our vision is expanded to see what God is doing all around us. 
It's asking to be a part of what God is doing and getting to work. And it's an ongoing mission. As I said before, we're changed. We're being changed from one degree of glory in our hearts to another. It's an amazing journey. It really, really is. So I want to encourage you. Don't beat yourself up. Like this is not a message to say, ah, your stuff, ah, you're too caught up. Take it, use it, evaluate, but recognize where you are with Christ in your journey. And seek to mature to a place where you could actually see how tightly you're holding on to some things that maybe you need to loosen your grasp on. God is building his kingdom and he's invited us to be a part of it. So it should be with glad hearts and all joy that we take on this mission, living lives with open hands and using our hearts to guide us firmly into kingdom living. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we are tremendously grateful for all that you've given us. We have so many things to be thankful for. So many things that you have blessed us with, God. We are blessed beyond all measure. I just pray, Lord, that, that every heart here today would be subjected to some scrutiny. Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts and show us what in our lives, what earthly treasures we're holding on to. What things in this life are contributing to our identity that are not you. God, help us to release the grip a little bit Lord, we know that it's a process and we're thankful for your grace as we ebb and flow out of wanting and desiring things. <laughs> but Lord, just help us to, to loosen our grip just a little bit on this journey. Thank you for your tremendous love that you give us all that we need. There's confidence in you as Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Father who gives good things. God, we have all that we need. And we're so thankful for it. Be with us, we pray, in this journey of faith, in community with one another, loving and serving with joyful hearts, expanding your kingdom, leveraging all that we have for the advancement of the gospel. For your name's sake, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.